Welcome to Health Unabashed, the show that is unapologetically passionate about health and wellness innovation that promotes a sustainable and equitable healthcare delivery and financing system. Hosted by digital health advocate, author, and global thought leader Gil Bash, the show looks at the thought-provoking ideas, people, and companies that are making a difference. I'm Greg Masters, the executive producer and co-host of the show, and join Gil as we engage industry talent who share their insights and best practices to create sustainable change. On today's show, our guest is Tom Lowry, National Director for AI, Health and Life Sciences at Microsoft. Tom is a healthcare and software executive with extensive experience in startups, Fortune 100 companies, and large mission-driven health systems. He's adept at creating and accelerating the use of cloud-based AI and analytic solutions that drive digital transformation in healthcare. Tom is passionate and experienced at improving the effectiveness of health systems through thoughtful use of technology, balanced with personalized human touch, or as otherwise framed, he's one of the good guys in the tech space. And with that introduction, Gil, over to you. Greg, my friend, thank you for that. And to all of our listeners, I just want to remind you, Greg Masters has a magnificent program called Pop Health Week, where he and Fred Goldstein really explore some of the most pressing issues of population health, the the full potential of really this discipline in doing better for people who need care and the systems that they turn to for that care. Greg, thank you as always. We have someone I've admired for quite some time, Tom Lowry. Tom is the National Director of AI. I'm not going to define AI. Some people, well, some people call it artificial intelligence. I don't. I call it either amplified intelligence or um, augmented intelligence. We'll find out from Tom if um, what his AI preference term is, but he's the National Director of AI for Health and Life Sciences at Microsoft. He covers probably one of the world's biggest health sectors. Obviously, this nation spends about almost 20% of its GDP on health. And Tom is at the forefront of working with health systems, payers, provider systems, major biopharmaceutical companies, understanding the fullest potential of AI and how we can help not just sustain our lives, which is pretty precious, but actually, as we're looking at the rising cost of health in this nation, maybe how it can sustain the nation. Tom, thank you so very much for joining us today on Health Unabashed. Kel, it's always uh, just so great uh, to be with you under any situation, uh, even when we're on camera. <laughs> and we kind of are now, although this, as as everybody knows, is, is, is a radio show, but you're looking magnificent. And I just want our listeners to know, I only wish you could see Tom's background. It's it's a star A-plus background of, of colors and cityscape in the new dimensional world. That's something only Tom Lowry could deliver to us. I get the pleasure of seeing this. You know, Tom, you you come at this discipline for from Microsoft and for the industry having really grown up in the industry to a large extent. Um, you, you've been a champion in developing uh, software systems. You've worked with payer systems, who work with provider systems. You were, you've been a consultant, you're an author. I have with me, and I highly recommend that people read Hacking Healthcare, how AI and the intelligence revolution will reboot an ailing, uh, ailing system. 
I don't have a signed copy. I have a thumb-worn copy. Hopefully, Tom and I will actually be in the same location sometime in the next few months. I'll lug my copy along and have you sign it, Tom. But, Tom, I wanted to ask you, before, before Microsoft, before your national platform, when you're at, I think it was Venus, um, and you were dealing with software issues, how, how did you make the jump from software to um, AI, to health intelligence? Well, I think like everyone, and whether it's your personal life or your career, uh, it's a journey. Uh, many times, it's not a planned journey. So, uh, you know, I spent about 12 years um, very excitedly as a hospital executive, uh, helping to run large hospitals and health systems. And, and um, this was a while back. Uh, and, you know, somewhere along the way, I, I started learning about all of those challenges that provider organizations face when it comes to providing quality care, providing access for all. And, and so my journey was uh, going from being a hospital executive to many years ago, getting turned on to this thing before it was even uh, very popularly known as the Internet and HTML standards. So I I, I, I then left a perfectly good career running hospitals to do a couple of startups uh, to try and use technology in the early days of things like the Internet to make the patient experience better. So we we did a couple of companies uh, around early portals and, and uh, communications between patients and physicians. Uh, I, I then had the opportunity to uh, go to work for, I think, two of the best companies in the world, GE and now Microsoft. And so... You know, somewhere along the way, I was always steeped in the data side of what was happening. And, you know, along the way, we started by having the advent of, of better tools for general business intelligence. And then, as you know, AI has been around at least since the 50s, I, I would argue, even back to the turn of the last century in some form. But along the way, it went from science fiction to becoming much more real. And at the same time, as those things were becoming more practical and tactical, we saw the uptick in huge issues that every organization is trying to face, whether it's quality, whether it's cost, whether it's access. And then increasingly, because again, I'm a nerdy data guy, uh, when you look at the amount of data that, that is there and has been growing, it became a huge opportunity to say, if we can take all of this data match it to the growing array of tools, there's the chance that we can drive value at a far greater rate than just doing what we've always done, at least for the past couple of decades when it comes to running health systems and providing care. So I'll stop there. So I, I, I will end that soliloquy. You know, I, I think, Tom, that having really owned your leadership voice within the industry on the customer side and embracing potential power of intelligence, information applied to vast problems um, gave you sort of a certain sense of, of insight. Being in a culture of innovation like Microsoft most definitely also gives you perspective and platform. Um, and I, I'm grateful I'm grateful that you're doing what you're doing. You know, I remember back more recently, let's say the last decade, where we were talking about first big data, that became the buzzword, big data. And then then people started to use machine learning, which you know, I guess was 
um, the computers will help us synthesize the big data and we'll learn from the big data through the machine. And now we come to all now AI. I wanted to ask you something that I've I've sometimes wondered. You know, AI became the shorthand to like laser. It you know it it became the shorthand for another term. And I wanted to ask you that other term, the, the two words. Has that really been helpful at times to getting the populace to getting the the people in the system to embrace this? I've always felt, and I'll say it. No, that that shall not be saying artificial intelligence. I've always felt that people felt either diminished, demeaned, or threatened by the term artificial intelligence. When in fact, it, I think you like to use the word amplified um, intelligence. Really, it's just taking everything that we've collected, humanity, we've collected in specialization, and bringing it together and looking for the common threads alongside of a problem we're facing. I, I'd love to get your perspective of how linguistics has influenced this discipline, good or bad. Uh, I think there are at least five questions on that one, Gil, but let me see if I can parse those out. First of all, to your earlier point, um, I believe healthcare ha has always been steeped in um, going after things that are trendy, going after the next big thing, and there are times where, um, you know, that, that almost works against the ability to take something new and emerging and actually apply it to do good at scale. So uh, AI has been what I would call the shiny object for several years. Go to any major healthcare and medical conference and guess what? You're going to be hearing all about it. And prior to that, you're right. It was big data. Uh, I, I happen to believe uh, the good news is I think metaverse is going to become the new shiny object and we can just get down to really talking about AI and practical and tactical ways to do good. So um, many times, if, if you look at something like the term artificial intelligence, um, I get to be an advisor to a lot of uh, fairly large organizations people would recognize, uh, maybe some are even listening uh, today. And, and many times when I'm dealing with the people at the very top, the CEO, people in the C-suite who are not the technology people, you start talking about artificial intelligence and as brilliant as they are, as talented as they are for everything they do, th th there's almost this thing where they push back to say, eh, I, you know, I was never good at that stuff. And, and, and I've hired a great chief technology officer. I've hired a great data science team. And, and many times it's like, you know, just getting to the point of saying, let's break this down. Um, the, the building blocks of AI are not that complex. Which is not to say, I mean, thank God we have people who really do know how to program. But um, so many times, it's that leadership imperative that makes the difference between whether an investment in AI in a healthcare organization is going to produce a use case or two that gets published versus producing good at scale across an enterprise. So, uh, you know, I, I, I would uh, end, end my uh, response to this by just pulling back to say, you know, if you look at healthcare today, whether it's a hospital, whether it's public health, you name it, the majority of people in the field are knowledge workers. Knowledge workers mean you deal with a lot of data. So, so the whole premise, the whole mission that we and Microsoft is on is to say, what if we can take all of this data, use these tools, to bring them in behind every knowledge worker to make them better at something they care about. 
That's the starting point for the dialogue. You don't need to know how AI works. You need to understand some of what it can do. But if, if you're a knowledge worker, if you're a clinician, you are the ones that as you're driving home at night thinking about those, if only I could solve this, those you are the people that AI should be uh, the focus of, to bring that in and behind what you do to make you better at something you care about. You know, to your point, and I, I, there's two two things come to mind. Uh, obviously, the role that you and Microsoft play in um, infusing confidence into the health system. And I, I do want to explore that in a few moments. But I, I want to go back to something that uh, Siever Coop, Chick Coop, told me when he, uh, right after he was Surgeon General. We were in um, uh, in Philadelphia, and uh, I think the at a museum and he turned to me and he said, you know, Gil, if a doctor reads one clinical article in their discipline every night before they go to sleep, at the end of the year, they'll be 10 years behind in their reading. That was in um, 1995 or six, he said that to me. And I marvel at my late father-in-law physician who had this incredible IQ. You know, he was an infectious disease doctor. He was a psychiatrist and then went into sports medicine to boot. He was just massive mind and great capacity for retention. And he became a doctor in the 19, late 1940s, early 1950s, when medicine was far less complex. It had far less data. And the skill set that we infused inside that generation of great clinicians was memorization. And what made them great doctors was pattern recognition. So the greatest doctors not only could remember masses amounts of information, they had this very unique superpower to connect the dots. And, and so they were able to see things that other clinicians, well-meaning, dedicated, just weren't able to see. They just pulled it in from all different directions to come up with very clear understandings of, of pathology of disease or, or diagnosis or treatment. I, I think today in this moment of time where we're dealing with masses amounts of data, we have more treatments today. We had very few treatments in the, in the 80s and the 90s. Most of our major treatments for heart disease, mental health, they're actually developed in the 1990s, not in the 1950s or 60s or 70s or 80s. And then, of course, exponentially, knowledge increases. So I, I often wonder, is our health system sort of a tale of two systems? The historic system of brilliance of memorization and drawing upon this, getting good grades in medical school, so you get a good residency, a good postdoc, perhaps. And today's generation of of understanding the, the application of technology. So I asked a group of doctors who were well-known. I said, how much training did you receive in medical school about digital health technologies, about um, virtual reality, artificial reality, AI? How many, did you have a semester that dedicated yourself to the learning of technology during medical school? And they looked at me with a smile and they said, well, we had a few hours of discussion but that was about it. And, and so one question I have is, Microsoft is so infused in our lives, whether it's my Microsoft Surface or the software I'm using. I mean, Microsoft is so much a part of my life in any way. Do you think that 
medical schools need to shift, knowing what you know from your expertise in health, need to shift and say, wait a minute, we need to devote some of medical school training to applying the tools, the tools of technology, the tools of accessing information to be better clinicians and to come to more confident diagnoses. And if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Health Unabashed on Healthcare Now Radio. Our guest is Tom Lowry, the National Director for AI Health and Life Sciences at Microsoft. Well, I think the simple answer is yes. Um, I think the extended answer going back to how... Let's hear the extended one. (laughs) Yeah, we do have time to fill, don't we? No, so uh, to your earlier point, so... um, There's one study, there are many studies out there. There's one study that shows if you were a newly minted doctor in 1950, you would go your entire practice, almost 50 years before medical knowledge doubled. That same study estimates that medical knowledge is doubling roughly every 73 days. So so let's just take that for a second and look at that. To your earlier point, you are the best trained physician coming out of one of the best residencies in that country, if not the world today. You're the top of your game as as a new specialist. And three months from now, the amount of information you're dealing with will have doubled. How can any human, despite all the great things about the human brain, how can you possibly keep up with that? And the answer is, I don't think you can, which is the value proposition for artificial intelligence. Uh, You you know, beyond that, um, again, it's... um, the, the deeper discussion we often have, and you've also referenced this, is when, when people start saying, well, you know, is AI going to replace uh, physicians and others? And, you know, even recently, there have been journal articles uh, suggesting things like maybe we should slow down on training radiologists. And whenever I see things like that, it tells me two things. One, it tells me they don't understand what AI really is and how to use. And and, and chances are, if they're, they're uh, I mean, to me, radiologists are often the Rodney Dangerfield when it comes to AI, people say, maybe we should stop training. But, but, but it, it, it tells me people don't understand what AI is, and they certainly don't understand what radiologists actually do. So, so uh, you know, beyond that, um, and, you know, it, it's uh, part of the topic of my last two books where, I believe as the world moves on, uh, I mean, every health organization is already starting to use in some way, some form of artificial intelligence. There are two classes going forward of, of I, uh, what I see as health systems. One, there's what we would call the traditional health systems, which exist today. They are going to use artificial intelligence to basically improve existing ways of work and existing processes, which is great. But there's another group, which I call the intelligent health systems, that are are gaining greater understanding of these tools. And what they're really doing is looking at how to reinvent and change the way their systems work across all experiences, all processes, and all touch points. That includes all, all of those things relative to their physicians, their nurses, but equally, if not more important, they're looking at how to change those experiences for the people they serve. So, so when I look at our view, I look at Microsoft and what we're trying to do, and our, our, our approach to healthcare, frankly, is very different than some of the others that are big technology companies, which I, I, I think is super important to point out. But our job is to get behind those clinicians, those health organizations. Uh, our, our challenge, our opportunity is 
for all the major things that are in healthcare today, like EMRs and imaging systems, uh, our role, our model is to say, uh, as they become more intelligent and you pop the hood on that EMR, on that imaging system, what you'll find is increasingly more of the Microsoft AI, our intelligent cloud, driving the ability of others to transform the way healthcare works. So uh, if, if we're going to do an interview, say even in a couple of years, I'd love to revisit the traditional health systems versus the intelligent health revolution that I, I think started uh, before COVID. COVID certainly gave that a major push when it comes to uh, pulling forward all of these things that are available today. You know, to that end, you're, you're talking about, um, first of all, I, let me say you're invited back in more than a few years. So let, let, let's get that on the on the books, on, on record. Um, I, I wanted to I wanted to ask you a little bit about the practical work you're doing. You know, you've written two great books. And again, I would really recommend to people to get your most recent book. It's, it's a, it's a great book. Um, It's practical. What I liked about it is you do deal with theoretical aspects of, of AI and health in the book, but you drill down into the operational nuts and bolts. And I think that people need to read this. I think that your book actually is a um, is a blueprint for uh, strategic thinking inside the provider system specifically, but also the payer system. And I wanted to ask you a quick question um, about the fragmented health ecosystem. We have payers, we have providers, we have patients, we have policymakers, we have people developing products in the world. Um, they're all separate universes. They have their unique economies, how they make money and so forth. And, and yet, the in theory, the thing that should be connecting them all are people who have health needs. We're always people first, but when we enter the system, we're termed patients. Patients actually are the, the glue that connects this very wild system. Um, and, and you and I have discussed this before. The patient is not at the center of the system. The system is at the center of the system. Uh, I wanted to get your take on how the intelligence revolution could actually get people to realize that we we need to bring the patient in as a full partner. It's their information we're understanding. It's their well-being we're understanding. It's their outcomes we're understanding. It's the cost of caring for them that we're understanding. When we talk about patient centricity, we have to understand that at the center of everything we do is people who have health needs. And yet, I find that the system is actually at the center of the system. The system is the customer of the system. And I just love your take on that, on the role of information or intelligence in, in getting people to reorient, or as you say, reboot this system that is ailing. Well, uh, boy, again, so many jump spots on um, your very deep question, Gil. So uh, I'll come back to something you said earlier as we started uh, the segment. Um here in America, we spend more uh, per capita on uh, healthcare than, than any other nation on this planet. And yet, according to many very well-documented studies, particularly my, my favorite is Commonwealth one, we, we spend more than anyone else by far. And yet, by any measurable health outcome or measure, we are dead last uh, compared to other developed nations. So that that, that first raises the question of why is that? 
it's not, I mean, we have, I think, the, the best group of doctors and nurses and providers and technology, and yet something's not working. And my, my view is we have so many extremely talented people, including the executives running these big systems that are trapped. And they're trapped in this historical model of break-fix. Uh, it's reinforced by an economic model on that break-fix that, um, I mean, most providers in America today face tremendous financial headwinds. And and it's not because they're they're not doing a good job. They're doing a great job. But the, the challenge is the system, the economics of how we created it back 50, 60 years ago. So somehow we have to change that. Uh, and, and technology alone is not going to do that. So, so that's something that we have to do. But when you look at the value and role of technology, and again, I'd, I'd bring it back to look what happened uh, with the advent of COVID and, and a global pandemic. We've had things like telehealth available going back 30 years, clinical studies showing it's effective, patients like it. Why did it take a pandemic for us to pull that forward? And yet, once it got pulled forward, uh, consumers embraced it. Even the data shows, you know, many times we talk about, well, you know, elderly Americans, they're not going to embrace technology. There, there's data from uh, CMS that shows 93% who had a telehealth visit thought it was great and want to do it again. So, so technology has a role. It, it has, it, it gives humans the ability to start looking at how to change processes that may have worked decades ago but they're not working very well now. We know that. And yet we're all kind of trapped in it for these various things, including the economics. So the ability to take technology to do better is a very strong part of the value proposition. And then finally, I'd say, you know, back to what we were talking about earlier. Um, you know, I, 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 I often hear people talking about patient-centric care and, and yet improving the patient experience. And yet if you look at going into a hospital, we treat everyone the same. And, and, and you know, you, you look at boomers and what they want versus millennials. I mean, millennials, they want to do the medical consult from the same place they ordered dinner, which is their couch. Uh, they are embracing technology at a far greater rate, uh, including others like Gen Zers than the system. So sooner or later, I believe these, these up and coming generations are going to vote with their feet, vote with their wallets, and vote with their health plans. But in the meantime, we've got a lot of other things to work on. So technology is an enabler. Uh, we've got great leaders that somehow we have to get them in a place where the economic incentives are there to allow them to do what they really want to do. Well said. I think you nailed it, Tom. For our listeners, I just want to remind you, we've been talking with Tom Lowry, who's the National Director of AI and Health at Microsoft. He travels this nation and the world. His book is a great must-read, Hacking Healthcare, How AI and the Intelligence Revolution Will Reboot an Ailing System. Tom, I want to wish you great success on our behalf that you continue to do your great work with Microsoft and with all of us to reboot our ailing system. Thank you. Gil, thanks so much. And that is a wrap for today's broadcast. We want to thank our listeners for tuning in and our very special guest, Tom Lowry, the National Director for AI, Health and Life Sciences at Microsoft. Follow his work on Twitter via at TC Lowry, L-A-W-R-Y, and on the web via www.microsoft.com forward slash 
AI forward slash AI hyphen for hyphen health. You can learn more about Health Unabashed on the program page at healthcarenowradio.com. We air weekdays at 10.30 a.m., 6.30 p.m., and 2.30 a.m. Eastern or 7.30 a.m., 3.30 p.m., and 11.30 p.m. Pacific. Do keep the conversation going with Gil and me on Twitter by connecting with us via at Gil underscore Bash, and that's B-A-S-H-E, and Greg Masters, M-P-H, and that's Greg with two Gs. And do remember to tag your tweets with hashtag health unabashed. Until next time, stay unapologetically passionate about improving health. <laughs>